0: Hey, this morning, we're going to begin uh, a little differently. I want to start by telling y'all, about three years ago, we had a special visitor to this place. He, he, he came to the college service. Uh, he sat on one of these front rows here, and it was special because it was the first time that he ever stepped foot in a church. And his friend who brought him looked over at one point while they were singing the songs and, and saw him singing along, and Uh, Came really close to uh, breaking down into tears, and the reason is, is because uh, he was a student that was studying here from Afghanistan, and currently we've been in contact with him, uh, and he's hiding uh, from the Taliban right now. And in two days, you probably know that our forces are planned to, to pull out, and so we just wanted to begin by praying for him, praying for our soldiers, praying for the other people Of Afghanistan. So, if you could join us in prayer. Dear God, this is one of those things that that I confess to you is just difficult to pray for, and we don't know how to pray. But, God, we just want to start by praying for your supernatural protection to be over our people who are serving there, our soldiers, dear Lord, who are trying to get people out. We pray protection over the people of Afghanistan. Dear Lord, we pray that you will provide a way to get people out of that situation. God, we know that you're a just God, and we know that you will not allow this injustice to continue. We pray that you would interact. God, we pray for our friend, and as far as we know, he never gave his life to you, but we pray, we know the gospel was shared to him, and we pray that he would remember those words, even in the situation that he's in now. God, we pray for wisdom for our leaders, dear Lord. God, we just come to you, and again, we confess we don't know how to pray, but we just ask that you would interact in a mighty way. That, dear God, we don't overcome evil with evil, but we overcome evil with good. And what man meant for evil, dear Lord, you turn to good. And so we pray that in your name.
1: Good morning, church. My name is Ryan Burton. I'm a leader here at Fellowship Fayetteville. Uh, I'm really excited about today. Uh, as you were walking in, you probably saw the big uh, display from Pioneer Bible Translators, all, all set up. And so, we're going to talk more about a partnership with them later on in the service. And uh, but my hope this morning is that we're seeing that we're able to see a better, clearer vision. Of our holy God, of Yahweh, our creator, our sustainer. He is God here in this room with us, and He's God across the world throughout all nations. And so this morning, we have the unique opportunity to be led um, by some individuals that come from other nations. Um, we're gonna be led in song and, and reading of the scriptures. And so, um, My hope is that we see the bigger picture of who God is, that he is so personal that he knows the intricate details of our lives, yet he's so vast that he dwells within every Christ-exalting church across every nation throughout the world. And so in light of that, let's sing praises to him this morning. Let's stand and let's worship.
2: Look full in his wonderful face In the theme. Jesus, I'm born.
1: as the offering plates are being passed. You can give if you wish to worship in that way. We're gonna continue singing this morning.
2: It's our church, it's your breath, it's your breath. (laughs)
3: In the Yellum Bugal <laughs> Padu Ingle Period on the Bumiella Umadu Bugalekatu Ingleyangal in the Yellum Bugal Paru.
2: It's your breath. It's your breath.
1: Church, as we remain standing, let's read Psalm 117. It says this. Praise the Lord, all nations. Sing his praises, all peoples, for his mercy toward us is great. And the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the 界の国々よ主を褒め to なさい。地に住む人は皆 Sëpse më shirej ti ndaj neshë është e madhe, dhe e vërteta e Zotit është e përjeqme, lavderoni Zotin.
4: Ema një lua, bobo e një uri lede, e një bobo e një e një, një të ri fere, ti kje të opi siwa, o re, siwa titi ti laj lajlaj. You may be
0: seated. So why didn't we have anybody read the last language, the nosu? Well, it's because that translation doesn't yet exist. It's a language spoken in Africa with about an estimated 40 million speakers who do not have a Bible that they can go to, listen to, read, read, 40 million. That's about 12 times the population of the state of Arkansas. We'll talk more about that later. And if you're here, if you're new here, you dropped into the middle of our mission and vision series here at Fellowship. And today we're going to focus on what is Fellowship doing globally for the cause of the gospel? You see, our mission and vision is is this, to produce and release spiritual leaders who know and express authentic Christ to Northwest Arkansas and the world. To produce and release spiritual leaders who know and express the authentic Christ to Northwest Arkansas and the world. And that part, the world, is something that we take very seriously. It's not something that we just said, oh, this is gonna sound grand. This is gonna sound great. Let's attach it to the end. No, no. We take it very seriously. And so if you wanna know really what our church is about, it's it's about producing world changers. We wanna equip y'all to do that. And we believe as a church that we can do that. We can change Northwest Arkansas, but we also believe as a church, we can change the world. A couple years ago, I was reading through 1 Timothy and it's something that I've read over and over again. But for some reason, it really stuck out to me. This one time that I was reading, it was was the way that Paul described the church. And look at this, he says, if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. First of all, I just love that description of the household. It is saying that we are a family, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, that we come alongside of each other, we care for each other, we help sharpen each other. We help each other become more like Christ. We are a family. But it's that second description that I never really noticed before. It says the pillar and the foundation of the truth. That is what we are. We're a pillar. And what does a pillar do? A pillar is something that provides support. It is something that holds up something. So what is this truth that we are holding up? Well, right after this, if you look at the context of the verse, right after this, Paul breaks out into a hymn and he begins to sing. And what he's singing about is Jesus Christ, the ultimate truth. The one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so we as a church, and I'm not talking about the church building, I'm talking about the people, we as a church are that pillar that we are to constantly, wherever we're at, in our jobs, in our school, in the neighborhoods that we live, we are to be holding up Jesus for all to see. But what about the places in the world where there are no pillars. We have a term for that in the missions world. It's this, it's called unreached people groups. And it's an identifiable group of people distinguished by a distinct culture, language, or social class who lack a community of Christians able to evangelize the rest of the people group without outside help. So what this basically means that somebody living within one of these groups, even if suddenly they woke up one day with this idea of I want to know who God is, or I want to figure out who this Jesus is, they probably never heard of him. But let's just say it just popped into their mind that they wouldn't even know anybody that they could go to to find out this information. They wouldn't have a church chances are they wouldn't have a Bible that they could read. This is where we focus our missions at. To to give you an example of what this is like in a practical way, I have a very, very dear friend of mine who came here from the country of Iran. And he was studying at the University of Arkansas, and what he began to do is he began to just invest himself in everything that the world says is good, and it just brought depression and depression and depression on him. Because he was trying to find joy and meaning and stuff outside of Christ. And one day, it was on a Sunday morning, he woke up and he was in such a depression, he just goes, man, what's up with my life? It has no meaning. And he thought to himself, he goes, well, I'm in Arkansas, what do people do on a Sunday morning in Arkansas? And he goes, they go to church. So he literally hopped in his car and began to drive around and just on the next exit down, he pulled up to a small church, he's never been in there before, he walks in, he sits at the back and he just sat there. And to hear him retell the story, he goes, they became a part in the service where they passed out little pieces of bread and little cups of juice. And he goes, man, these people are so nice, but why is it so small? I'm, I'm still hungry and I'm still thirsty. And then he went and found a friend after the service was over And he goes, hey, I went to a church for the first time. He goes, man, I was so confused. What is happening there? You see, even though he was confused, he now had access. And it was something that he didn't have in the country that he came from. And so we are focusing on those areas where people have no access to the gospel. And you might be asking yourself, well, how many people are we talking about in the world? Sadly, over 3 billion people living today fall into that category. Even more humbling, it's estimated that 70,000 people die each day without ever hearing the gospel. To put that into perspective for us, football season is about to start. As you go into Razorback Stadium, when, when that place is almost filled to capacity, that's around 70,000 people, and that many people are dying each day without ever hearing the gospel, and so when you hear that, when you think that, and you go, Man, 70,000 people a day. Surely the church, the American church, that's where we're sending our resources. That's the front lines. Let's let's step into that darkness, but that is not the case. Missionaries who go to the unreached, every missionary that uh, Americans send out, only 3.3%. So basically three out of every hundred missionaries go to these unreached places. And what I mean by unreached, no church, no community of believers, Possibly no scripture. And when you look at the finances, it's even worse. Only 1% of giving to missions, and that's money that is set aside specifically for missions, goes to the unreached. And look, I'm not, we're not against uh, people being sent and going to reach places. There are lost people everywhere. People need to be sent there. There's churches there that need extra resources, need extra training. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to say, man, there's this great imbalance. And we wanna focus on those places that has the greatest need. If you know me, I'm not a person who tries to to guilt people, but there is one stat that I wanted to share out there that is just kind of like a, a punch to the gut and it's this, Americans have recently spent more money buying Halloween costumes for their pets than the amount given to reach the unreached. So what I wanna do today is, I wanna try to explain to you that this is not just like fellowship strategy, that we're doing missions this way or we're focusing on these, these areas. What, what I wanna to try to do is I wanna to try to dive into scripture and show that this has always been God's heart from the very beginning. And it's not just something that we just said, oh, this sounds good. But no, when you look into scripture, you see it from beginning to the end. So we're gonna fly through some major points of scripture. I think the enemy keeps it hidden from us. It's one of those things that years ago, I was, a, I was a Christian for years before I began to see this story played out. Matter of fact, it's kind of said that Christians now, what they're finding out, that Christians know the stories of the Bible, but very few Christians know the story of the Bible. So I hope to unpack that. So you ready? All right, here we go. So if you know, uh, if you've ever taken our panorama class, which is a story over the whole uh, section of scripture, the Bible begins with Genesis 1 through 11. We call that a prologue. And what a prologue is, is the beginning of the book that sets up the rest of the book, right? And so it's not just in the Bible, it's in a lot of books. And it's key events that happen that set up the rest of the story. Now there's three major events in our prologue in Genesis 1 through 11, the fall, the flood, and the tower. Now, the fall happened. We know Garden uh, Garden of Eden. We ate of the forbidden fruit, and what you see every time uh, these major events happen, there's three things that go along with each event. One, we see the sinfulness of man. We see God's judgment, but we also see his grace or solution. And so when the fall happens, when they they eat the forbidden fruit, we see that their their judgment comes and they're kicked out of the garden, they're separated from God. But we also see his solution, that he comes and he's speaking and he begins to talk about, and he begins to say to the enemy, he says, hey, I'm gonna send somebody and you're gonna bruise them on the heel, but he's gonna crush your head. And he's talking ultimately about Christ to come. And then years pass by, and man has become so evil that God has to cleanse the earth and he sends a flood and wipes out everybody except for a few. So we see man's sinfulness, we see God's judgment, but we also see his solution and his grace and the rainbow and the covenant that he makes to never do that again. But again, over a period of time, we see man's sinfulness. Come on, and we're gonna look at that. It's the tower, and it says, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, why is this such a big deal that they decide to do this? Well, before that, God gives them a repeated command that you see multiple times. It is be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. You see, what God was trying to set up is that we were created in the image of God and he wanted his people to be scattered all over the globe bearing his image. And what did the people do? They said, nope, we are not going to do that. And instead of making a name for God, we're gonna make a name for ourselves. So you see man's sin. Then what do we see after that? We see God's judgment. So the Lord scattered them. From there, all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it's called Babel, because there the Lord confused the languages of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them all over the face of the earth. That all these diff- different people groups in an instant were just completely formed, speaking different languages, scattered over the earth, because God saying, my will will be done. So we see man's sin, we see God's judgment, but where's his grace, where's the solution? And it's kind of tricky to find in this story because uh, we start reading, and right after this, it gets into one of those genealogy sections. You know what I'm talking about, the boring sections, where it's just name after name after name after name. And so we kind of lose it. And we're like, okay, what's going on? And we don't see his answer until you turn the page to Genesis 12, one through three. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I'll make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I'll bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, catch this, all the families of the earth will be blessed. All the families. Everything that was just created as we just scattered people all over the globe. I am choosing you, Abram, and I'm going to build you into a nation. And through your line, all these families are gonna be blessed. If we turn to the very end, I'm gonna ruin the story for you, but we get a picture into the end of an event that hasn't happened yet. And by the way, I think when we read this, we don't put enough passion into it that it deserves, that I think it should be read like this. After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all the tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out, with a loud voice saying, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is God saying, I win, I win, I win. What I set out to do thousands of years ago will be accomplished, will happen, amen? This is incredible. And so if you wanted to take the story of the Bible and if you wanted to boil it down to two words, this is what I would say. That thousands of years ago, people groups all over the planet were placed. And God began with one person and began to set in motion events to bless all those families or all those people groups until one day there's gonna be somebody from every tongue, tribe, and nation worshiping him around the throne. Now, now don't get me wrong. This is not some type of universal idea that in the end that everybody's gonna be saved. What it's saying is that there's gonna be somebody from each one of those people groups that ultimately are gonna be worshiping Around the throne. One Bible commentator, Bill Jones, says this, God, he's, he defines the story of the Bible here, God receiving glory by restoring fellowship between all people groups and himself through his son, Jesus Christ. To put the story of the Bible into one sentence or to one phrase, now, I do not believe also that the Bible just kind of begins with that story and then the rest of it is this giant mess where we have no idea what's going on and then we come to the end and God just kind of puts a bow at it and he says, there, I'm done. That I think this is the story that goes through all scripture and we miss it. And again, we know some of the stories of the Bible, but we don't know the story of the Bible in some of our most popular stories, we miss the point. A couple years ago, I was talking with a guy from our church, and he was leading his family through a devotional. And of course, they get to the story of David and Goliath, and they have this children's Bible, which is actually, they have a pretty theologically correct children's Bible. And so they read this. It says, this day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, this is David talking, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth. And he put the Bible down and he says, hey, let's act it out. And of course, the dad was Goliath and his son was David. And so he comes out and he's like, Aah! and his son there and he's like, whoop, 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 throws the stone, hits him in the head and he falls down. And then he gets up and he sits his kids down and he says this, he says, you know what? In your life, you're gonna face a lot of giants and a lot of obstacles. And if you have enough faith, God is gonna help you defeat those giants. And Then he opened up the Bible to read the rest of the story. And this is what it says. And again, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And he sat there and he looked at it and he goes, every time I've been taught this story, that's not what I said. That's not what they said was the purpose. And it's saying it right there so clearly that all the earth may know. And he thought to himself, if I've gotten this story wrong, what are the other ones that have gotten wrong? And it began a personal journey, and he just kept walking in steps of obedience, and right now, him and another family or some of our global workers in Western Africa, taking the gospel, taking the truth to the unreached. Do you realize that it says in Scripture that when uh, Moses receives the Ten Commandments, that God says, teach your people to do this so the countries, the nations around you will look at you and see that you are different, that it'll be a testimony to them? Do you realize like when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fire, what happened was Nebuchadnezzar, when they survived, made a decree to all the nations praising God Same thing with Daniel in the lion's den, with King Darius. That all these stories have a global impact because our God is a global God with a global mission. How about this? What's the rest of this verse? Man, I failed this one. Be still and what? Yeah, be still. And know that I'm God. I remember the first time somebody showed this, I was like, oh man, I got this. Be still and know that I'm God. I guarantee you, there's people in here, you've gone to Hobby Lobby. You've bought in a wooden frame. It might be over your mantle. Be still and know that I'm God. But that's not what the whole verse says. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Why do we leave that out? Why do we cut that out? I think it's because we're so focused on our personal relationship with God that we don't think about God's ultimate plan and that we could be involved in that plan, And what is this verse meaning? What it's talking about is, man, when you see what's going on in Afghanistan, when you see the government oppressing the people in Miramar, when you see China putting people into slave camps, and you're sitting there going, what in the world is going on? God, this is not the way that it's meant to be that God is saying, be still and know that I'm God. My plan is will be accomplished, amen, amen. So let's go to the prophets. I love this verse. The context is they're, they're talking to Israel, the nation of Israel. He said to me, you're my servant Israel in whom I will show my glory. But look at this next part. He says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. He says, Israel, you're dreaming too small. It's not just about you. I am raising you up so that you will be a light to the nations. I think this is a great message for us personally. We are dreaming too small. We are saying, oh, it's about my personal relationship with Christ. Do you know why he's forgiven you, why he's restored you, why he's sanctified you? To be a light to the nations, to play a role in God's global story. Let's move on, Malachi, and by the way, I'm jumping over tons and tons of stories, but this is the last book of the Old Testament. This is before they begin the 400 years, what they call the silent period, where it seems like God is not interacting or speaking. And it's almost like he's saying this as a reminder. It says, for from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place incense is going to be offered to my name and a grain offering that is pure, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. It's almost like he's reminding at the end of the book for the people of Israel. Hey, I wanna remind you what this is all about. My name will be great among the nations. And then we come to a character, maybe you've heard of him, named Jesus. Does Jesus talk about this? Man, all the time. But I wanna focus in on one story. What's the the time in scripture that Jesus doesn't act like Jesus? Like, what we see in scripture is that that people always feel comfortable coming to Jesus, right? Like, like even the most sinful people, one of the the things that we see in scripture is like, Even the most sinful of people feel comfortable being drawn to Jesus. But there's one story where people are running from Jesus, where Jesus seems like he flips out, like literally flips out because he's flipping over tables, right? What is that about? Well, if you look in the context of the verse, it says this, it says, and he began to teach and say to them, is it not written, my house should be called a house of prayer For all the nations, but you have made it a robber's den. When we see that, we might not understand the context, but if we were to look at a map of the temple, the temple is a place that you come and you pray to God. And it's broken up into different sections that different people are allowed to enter. But the largest section of the temple is this huge area called the court of the Gentiles. And what that means is, is that a huge area was set aside for the non-Jewish people or the nations to come and to pray to God. And this is the place that they set up all their money-changing tables and sold sacrifices. Basically sending a message saying, we don't have room for you to come and pray. And it infuriated Jesus. Jesus because he is a global God with a global mission. and That's not all he says. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. And I love this right here. It's one of the last things that he says to the disciples in Luke uh, 24, And he said to him, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Look at this. This is exactly what we're doing today. We're going through the Old Testament, and we're saying, look at these stories, look at these stories, look at these stories. This is what Jesus, this is one of the last teachings he did with his disciples. He says, hey, let me sum it up for you. Let me take you through the Old Testament. This was written about me and the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened up their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. If I've had one prayer for this service this morning is that our minds would be opened up and that we begin to see things that we've never seen before. And say, oh, I'm starting to see the story of scripture. And he told them this is what is written the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations beginning in Israel This is Jesus giving the lesson saying hey this is what the bible is all about the old testament is pointing to me and this message is to go out to all the nations And we come to this, go therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And Jesus saying that he's gonna be with us always is in that process of making disciples. As we go, he says, man, I'm joining you arm in arm to be in that. So it always comes to this point where people begin to ask and they say, so Pope, what are you you saying? Let's get practical. What are you saying? If I don't quit my job and if I don't sell all my stuff and go move to a country that I've never been too far away, am I being disobedient? And I think Paul answers that really clearly for us. He says this. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? He's talking about the nations, the lost. And how can they believe in the one who they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? So Paul is saying clearly somebody needs to go, somebody needs to preach, somebody needs to teach. How can they call on a name that they've never heard of before? People need to go. And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. To put it really simple, I think we all have a role to play. And for some of us here in this room, man, it's to go. As a matter of fact, we've been spending over two years now developing, how do we develop a track or how do we disciple our people and prepare them to be global workers? and we wanna teach some of you and prepare some of y'all to go and be global workers overseas. But for others, it's to become passionate about sending. It's about supporting our people well. It's about caring for them well. I was reading a quote from a World War I general who said this, he says, Infantry men win battles, but logistics wins wars. Meaning that the people who are on the front lines, man, we gotta care for them well, we gotta support them well, we gotta send them well if we want to see these battles won. This is this was a perspective change for me. God does not have a mission for his church. God has a church for his mission that we've always had a global God with a global mission. And we as a church can see that accomplished. So what do I do? Let's get practical. Number one, become passionate about each aspect of the Great Commission. Don't take your Bible and cut out the word nations and say, hey, that's for somebody else, that's for certain people. Make disciples, make disciples where you're at, but always be involved in God's global work. Number two, get to know, support, pray, and follow the ongoing work of one of our global workers. On this uh, east side, is it east side, west side, I get my directions confused, of the foyer, we now have a global wall, which has people and their general location of people that we've sent out just from this congregation or are about to be sent out. And get to know them. Pray for them. We could easily set up that our global workers are being prayed for every single day. Become passionate, even just one. Just pick out one, become passionate and knowledgeable about the work that they're doing. Third, befriend an international person from the university or one who is living into your community. Man, reach out that God is bringing the nations to us. I'm going to embarrass somebody. I didn't tell her I was going to do this, but my you who spoke the verse in Japanese came to Christ as a student at the University of Arkansas, and right now she's in a program being trained on how to make disciples, and she plans on moving back and share the gospel in her home country. Isn't that incredible? God's bringing the nations to us. Let's love them well. And finally, I wanted to spend a little time on this. For about the past two years or more, we've been getting to know an organization called Pioneer Bible Translators. And basically what Pioneers does is they translate the scripture into languages that it doesn't currently exist. But that's not all that they do. They're not just trying to, to form a book that can go on the... Go on the shelf. During the process, they begin discipling people from that language group, and they plant churches. And so, as we've gotten to know them, and as we've prayed, and as we've gone down and visited, as a matter of fact, we have two former fellowship people who are on staff with them. We began to pray about could we adopt one of these translation projects, and this congregation, just the Fellowship Fayetteville congregation. Today kicks off the day that we begin this adoption, and it's something that could take a long time, up to 10 years, maybe even 20 years, to see this Bible fully translated. It's one of the last large translation projects left in the world. As I said earlier, over 40 million people speak this language and don't have scripture in their language. Not only that, there's 160 different people groups who speak this language. Fellowship, favor, I just wanna personally challenge all of us. When do we really have times that drop into our laps that we can honestly say, and I'm going to do something that has the opportunity to change the world? we are just blessed to be a part of that. Let's pray. Dear God, you are a global God with a global mission. That's the way that it's always been, dear Lord. That someday, one day, that there's gonna be somebody from every tongue, tribe, and nation worshiping around your throne. That God, we just pray that we can be a part of that, dear Lord, that we don't make excuses, that we can just step into this global plan and realize, man, you have redeemed us for a powerful purpose. God, we pray for the No people who right now cannot have a Bible that they can open up and learn more about you. We pray that through our giving and through our prayers and, and possibly even sending people there, dear Lord, we will see that changed. That they will have access to the gospel. That they'll have scripture that they can read, that they have churches that they can attend, that they have people discipling them. Dear Lord, we just pray that you will make it happen. Amen.
3: out together. Hold oh, the book.
2: church shouted over oh.
0: I wanna invite my friend Anu up here and he's probably wondering why I even invited him to come close us out but Anu's one of my best friends and I don't even know if he remembers this but I remember one of the first times I met with him I asked, I was like, Anu, what's what's your goal in life? And basically to paraphrase, he said to see Africa changed. And so he's gonna close us out with one more song. It's Waymaker and the reason that we chose this song is that we believe that God He's gonna make a way. We're we're, we're tackling something huge, but God's gonna make a way and that he's a miracle worker. It is gonna take a miracle to see this happen, but he's also a promise keeper that the promises he made in scripture that all nations would know is gonna happen and finally, a light in the darkness. That's what we're gonna do. We're not sheltering in place we are becoming a light in the darkness. We are stepping into the darkest areas in this world with the message of the gospel.
1: Let's sing a church. Waymaker.
2: Waymaker,
4: miracle. keep a light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. Right, so Pope talked about Africa, right? So in Africa, we clap when we worship, okay? <laughs> Let's go. (laughs) Waymaker, miracle work. Promise you light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. Now, another thing about African churches is the congregation sing louder than the worship team. Okay? Let's go. Waymaker. Waymaker.
1: Church, we love you guys. Uh, We got the prayer room is open to your right through these doors, and we got communion available in there as well. Take some time, check out the um, display out in the foyer for Pioneer. We love you guys. We'll see you next week.